0: In the world of software, it's usually almost thought of as a best practice to be like, hey, release in beta and iterate, for, you know, move fast and break things. But when the software is driving the car, it feels like maybe not as appropriate. It could Curious be move fast cups. and
1: break other humans. I'm worried about <laughs> yeah. that.
0: Tired of egregious egress? Vulture is ready to save us all time, money, and hassle by providing powerful cloud compute at a fraction of the cost of big tech. Visit vulture, V-U-L-T-R dot com slash stack to redeem $100 in credit today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow, and I'm joined today as I opt in by my wonderful co-hosts, Ryan Donovan, and Cassidy Williams. Hi, y'all. Hello. Hey. So we have a great question today to discuss from our workplace stack exchange, which, as Cassidy pointed out earlier, is really the place you go when you're unable or afraid to talk to your boss or your coworkers in person. Like, these are usually questions you could just say something to somebody. But if you prefer to ask the internet, there is a place, a stack exchange for it. It's a real problem. Not for everybody. Yeah, maybe you don't like face-to-face or you, you did and it didn't work out. So the question is, is it okay to use my open source projects as dependencies at work? And a little bit of context here, I work at a startup company. We're in the phase of creating some pipelines for GitHub Actions, making our program's foundation stronger. In my spare time, I create a lot of tools. And so I guess, you know, the company sort of could benefit from, I install my personal open source projects as dependencies and use them since they fit our needs perfectly. So Cassidy, what is sort of the risk and reward here? Like if they fit perfectly, why is this even a question that has to come up?
1: So this all really depends on, I guess, your scope of employment with the company. Whenever I go into a job, whenever I'm about to sign a contract, looking at an offer, anything like that, I ask about side projects because some companies are incredibly strict about it where they might say, if you work on a side project, we own it. If you work on any open source stuff, this is now the company's open source contributions, not Mm -hmm. your own. If it's code related, we own it, even if it's outside of work. And so, this is a very real question that is a valid one to have.
2: In the question, they posted part of their contract and shall not accept any other paid or unpaid employment or occupation or engage in any other business activity except with a prior written consent to the company. Open source code unrelated to the company's domains. And I think that's where the person makes a mistake, where they're like, I'm in, the company's in education. And all my stuff is infrastructure. And it's like, well, you're writing software, so it's all infrastructure.
0: So they're worried that the work that they're doing as it becomes part of the company's code base will become owned and patented by them and something they'll have less ability to use in the future. That's their main concern.
2: Yeah. And and actually, if you scroll down, there's somebody who is like, I actually was sued for this. The company I worked for was acquired and they thought they were buying all code. And they're like, no, they're these open source dependencies. And he or she actually had to pay a fine.
1: Yeah. And and it's something that is at a lot of companies. And so that's something that I had to start looking at just with my, I think my second job I had after college was I realized I had open source projects. I had side projects, but my company had somewhere in my contract that they own all work that I did. And so there is a way around this. And this person unfortunately is is figuring this out during their employment rather than before their employment. But one thing that I personally do is I have a list of all side projects and activities and things that I do outside of work. And then whenever I'm about to sign some kind of work contract, I just give it to the company and I say, by the way, this is the stuff I do outside of work. I want to make sure that this is excluded from my contract, that you don't own it it's important to me, that that kind of stuff. And and then it ends up being just like an appendix of, of the work contract. And so anybody out there, if you start running into this issue, ha- have it written down. This person should talk to their manager.
0: <laughs> yeah. I yeah. totally misinterpreted this. When I read the question before reading the explanation and comments, I thought what the person was worried about was, I'm creating tools that fit our needs, they're becoming dependencies. Therefore, the company is relying on them. If they fail, or if we decide to go, you know, in a different direction, or if I decide to stop updating this open source project, you know, well, I have created problems for the company. Essentially, I'm bringing in the kind of stuff I work on from outside of work. It's helpful to us now, but if in the future it breaks, or I decide to stop working on it, have I created an issue? But it's something completely different. It's about you know a fear that it, this open source work you're doing might be taken away from you. Now. Open source often comes with like specific licenses and things that could be commented in the code. Could that protect you? Like if you say, if you mark the dependency and say, this is part of this open source project that I'm working on here, it's licensed this way. Would that in the future, that seems like it might help you if you were to get sued or they were to try to take it away or no?
1: It depends on when you've worked on it. There it is. It depends. It
2: depends. Not a lawyer, but it It depends. Yeah,
1: the license and when you worked on it.
2: Yeah. One of the um, comments said, you know, the license may actually affect the software upstream. If they use a a GPT license, CP3 license, any software that uses it may also have to be under that license. Oh, wow. But
0: am I wrong to assume that a lot of places now increasingly to hire great developers or to hire people who are well thought of within certain open source platforms and ecosystems have to make concessions to folks about what they can work on, or you know their ability to both maintain a relationship and a working contribution to open source while working inside of a company. It feels like that's something that increasingly is true is people will be hired off a big open source project because of their status and contribution there and then come in-house to sort of help maintain that company's attachment point to an open source infrastructure.:
2: Sure. and I, I think that consideration probably depends on how big and how exposed to open source that company right. is if it's a small company they're going to either be outsourcing as much as they can to dependencies or they want to own everything. And I think this contract specifically has a phrase, you know, line in there that both protects and doesn't protect this person.
1: It's a very, very common issue. This was actually way back when I worked at Amazon. This was a few years ago. I remember going through the contract and seeing, okay, which things can I work on? Which things can't I work on? I probably need to get things in writing, that sort of thing. Mm. And, Companies have been doing this since the beginning of time, but in particular with Amazon, they were really strict about game development. Where Mm -hmm. even if your job had nothing to do with game development, if you wanted to make a game, you had to use Amazon infrastructure and you were only allowed to work on said game with other Amazon employees. It was a whole thing. And I'm saying this was a few years ago because that was only changed within the past few months, actually, this year, where a lot of people ended up stopping doing game development because they worked at Amazon, because Amazon was like, no matter what, we will own whatever game that you make. There's a lot of little variations of this at various tech companies. And so the only way to completely verify that you'll be able to work on it and and be okay with it and stuff is to bring it up front, have it in writing and have you and the company sign it.
0: But you're saying that at Amazon, based on employee pushback, they did change that policy recently because they wanted right. to
1: Right, it took years, but it it worked.
2: I think the, uh, the ultimate lessons here are talk to your manager and get it in writing. <laughs> Those yeah. are good lessons <laughs> for anything in the workplace, which is
0: why they're on Workplace. The greatest Stack Exchange, <laughs> always an episode of The Office, love Workplace. You just love office drama, don't you? Workplace and academia have some of the best questions, I think. <laughs> Because usually, like inherent in the question is something like this is pissing me off, but I like can't express my frustration, or I feel like some malfeasance has happened, but I don't know how to report it, or I feel guilty about this. What should I like? It's often a very like sort of confessional space. It feels like it also feels
2: like some sort of sitcom mix-up where it's like you could have solved this by talking to (laughs) somebody.
0: Yeah, right. Don't plan two dates. Right. It's a Seinfeld (laughs) episode. There's like some huge elaborate thing that they're doing instead of just talking to somebody about it. All right. I have another link for us to discuss here. And then Cassidy will jump into the big news. Well, we could jump into the big news first. Not sure everybody heard, but Jack Dorsey has resigned from Twitter. The co-founder, founder, founder, CEO, not CEO, CEO again, chairman has now stepped away once more. Maybe he shall return in the future. Twitter needs saving once again. No? He's gone? Okay. Jack's gone for good this time. But yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I do think Jack has a reputation within the software developer community as someone who managed to be good at business or or maintain a CEO role at two companies at once, but also was at heart in a lot of ways, a developer and a technologist and more interested in the inner workings of stuff than in being the CEO, quote unquote.
1: Yeah. I'll be very curious to see what he ends up doing next, and how Twitter might change mm. in business model and leadership structure, anything like that? Because I I could right. see that happening.
2: I, I think there's a benefit to being founder led. Sometimes you talk about it, and I've been at a lot of founder led companies. But there is a point where the company scales up to where the founder becomes more of a liability. They have too much ownership over the company, and they often can't let things grow without them. They just want their hands in all all of the action going on.
1: I'm also going to be curious to see if he just leans more into his position at Square, because Square seems to be doing a lot of movement in the space where I I admit, I thought Square was kind of quiet for a while because it it was just kind of doing its thing with payments. But I think it's getting into the crypto space more. And so I could see him wanting to focus on Square for that reason.
0: Yes. It seems based on his tweets and, and public appearances, like he's most interested these days in meditation blockchain and crypto. And Square obviously can do some really interesting stuff there since it's already in the payments and, and fintech space. Although there is a decentralized Twitter <laughs> being built by yeah. somebody, maybe that could be the future of Twitter. There we'll are see. several of them. There's
1: I was gonna say there's a handful.
0: No, but I mean, not just like versions outside, but inside of Twitter, isn't there? I thought there was like a project where they were sort of like, we want to create a decentralized version of this too, and you can experiment with us and help us like see if there's a, a different way for us to exist, essentially. That was sort of driven by Jack. That was my impression.
1: Yeah, they they have started that. And actually, if anybody wants to follow someone who's really good about being transparent about this stuff, Tess Ranierson recently joined their team and she's awesome and knows a ton about the crypto space and stuff and is good at educating people about it. And we can link her Twitter in the show notes.
0: All right. Another link here that I felt was worth discussing. There was a big review of the Tesla Model Y hatchback, which is like the Model Y, but it's kind of more like sports to be family friendly. So it's got a big trunk and rows of seats and whatever, whatever. The reviewer really loved the car, except for the part where it randomly slams on the brakes really hard, at least once an hour, including when you're on the highway. And this is the sort of self-driving, assisted driving, kind of cruise control system, thinking that there's like a big obstacle in your way when there's nothing there. It's called phantom braking. And this seems to me like the kind of thing where I can't even believe that these cars are still on the road. It seems really dangerous for everyone involved. But then the sort of review itself was really interesting in that it was saying, unlike a lot of other places, this will probably change in a few months because Tesla cars are basically Software that is constantly being updated, and we'll get back right. to you in two months, and maybe this problem will be fixed. And in another version of the car, they rolled out an update. This started happening. They rolled the update back, and people who contacted Tesla to sort of say like this feels really wrong were told like it's an evolving piece of software. Like we're working on it. <laughs> you know. So yeah. just curious to get your thoughts. You know, I don't know how how <laughs> often you think about software in this context, but like in the world of software, it's usually. Almost thought of as a best practice to be like, "Hey, release in beta and iterate." For, you know, move fast and break things. But when the software is driving the car, feels like maybe not as appropriate. It could curious be move to get your fast thoughts.
1: and break other humans. I'm worried about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I did watch a video review of this as well, and I could tell the reviewer was trying to be like actively informative while also actively paying attention to the road because they were afraid (laughs) where where like the car was fully self-driving and they were were going around in the streets and stuff and they're just like, okay, this isn't so bad. Oh, no, 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 no. And they would have to like grab the steering wheel and and move away from semi-trucks and stuff. The
0: other thing about it is with Tesla, I always feel like the people are trying to be positive because being pumped about Tesla and, and being like, man, this car is amazing. I just got is like the way to get the most views. I just feel like people are kind of like trying to gloss over the problems in those like YouTube reviews. They're trying to like stay pumped about Tesla while also
2: keeping it on the road. <laughs> There's too much uh, internet fame around Tesla. Is that what you're saying? I
0: guess I'm just surprised that people would put up with this. Like this seems completely unacceptable. I wouldn't get in or put my family right. in this car. But a lot of people are like, you know, the car is great. I mean, minor phantom braking issues, but you know, it's a Tesla, man. Whoa.
2: And I think you can <laughs> avoid it by by turning off cruise control, so it doesn't phantom break all the time unless you have cruise control on but it's
0: especially galling because you pay ten thousand dollars extra for the full self-driving package and then
2: right (laughs) nothing
1: oh my gosh it's
2: getting sort of hard to avoid these sort of features like i was looking at getting a a new tv yesterday and they're all smart tvs they all have voice integration and me being a cranky old man i don't want that i don't want possibility of ads i don't want a listening device in my house, basically. Right. I want a dumb TV. I want the TV just to show me stuff that I tell it to. I've got some
0: vacuum tubes you, I
2: can sell hey, you. Hey, give it. I have
1: a story about the self-driving car stuff. Way back when I lived in New York City, my sister and I, we both lived there and we were walking around, you know, just just kind of hanging out. And we saw that there is a giant escape room event. And she and I love doing escape rooms where you try to break out of a room in a certain amount of time. And it was being run by Ford Escape. The car, (laughs) good brand, clever, solid. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so they said if you can get through our escape room the fastest, people who get out will win a car. And we're like, well, of course we're going to do this. And so we got in line and stuff, and we're just going to do it the two of us. And there was a straggler behind us where he he was going all by himself, and they're just like, hey, do you mind if you team up with him? And we're just like okay, we'll be nice. And so <laughs> we all sign up, we we get ready for our time in the escape room. And when it's time to go, we go. And and my sister and I, again, we love escape rooms. We had a strategy. We went in and, and we went like room mm-hmm. by room. It was like a series of rooms, a whole Ford escape thing. And so we had to like open up cereal boxes, find different things here and there. And we were doing well, except this random person just kept trying to get to know us in the escape room <laughs> and we we're just like you got to stop we can talk as much as you want afterwards we're trying to escape here and the last part right, of right. the escape room was escaping a car and it had like a self-driving aspect of it i promise this is all relevant and so so like the car had to like self park and you had to activate it and we were kind of just like Aah! screaming as as we were trying to park the car and the very very sad part of the story is This guy would not do his puzzles. Like, he, again, he kept just trying to talk to us. And so we would finish our puzzles and we would go (laughs) and just do his puzzles. We ended up getting second place by 14 seconds just 14 seconds oh. and we could have won. And instead of winning a car, we got headphones uh-huh. and we were so mad at this person. Oh, we car. just, he was like oh, saying, yeah, we should go grab a drink. And we're just like, absolutely not. We took our headphones and is left. Is this
0: guy like just at the escape room to try to pick people up? Like, what is he doing? He sounds like he's way off mission I'm, here. He's I
1: have no off. idea.
2: Oh, or gosh. just so awkward. He's like, <laughs> I can't be in a room and not talk to people.
1: The just rage I still feel thing. to this day at this stranger I, I don't I don't know what his yeah. name is. I couldn't even tell you what it looks like. I erased him from my mind.
0: Yeah, the difference between a car and a pair of headphones. That guy cost you thirty grand. Come on, not cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: We would have won the rage. What can you do?
0: Lesson for the day. If you're in escape room with somebody, escape first, get to know them later.
1: Yeah. Because if you had escaped in one first place,
0: you probably would have <laughs> been like, We'll go hang out with you now and celebrate.
1: Yeah. Uh, We've been
0: like pumped to uh, pump uh, to know you. Thanks for helping us win. All right, everybody, I'm gonna read you one more question just because I think it's great. And we're gonna have it on social media this week, and then we'll we'll jump to the lifeboat. Did I cheat on an exam by knowing a solution in advance? a mathematics student had done a lot of re- had done a lot of studying, been going through practice problems, this and that, got to the test, and the final question was intended to be a challenge. You know, students just sort of solve it completely and show their work. They just nailed it. They knew they had done this problem, remembered it knocked it out of the park, obviously scored the best. Is this cheating? Should I tell my professor? So think about it. And uh, maybe next week we'll go over the some of the answers, which I thought were very good.
1: I feel like it isn't, but yeah, I'll be curious to see what people say.
0: Yeah. It's not cheating to know stuff. Well, but my first reaction was the idea that you get the problem in advance and then can just do it sounds like cheating. Like somebody's given you the exam, but that's not what happened here. It was just right. like in some open public materials. And so- Not cheating. Just got lucky. The best response here was, it's actually your professor is cheating by not coming up with a new question.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Good point.
0: All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. I'm going to shout out a Lifeboat Badge winner for coming on Stack Overflow and answering a question, helping to save some knowledge from the dustbin of history, awarded yesterday to Glenn B, how to access single elements in a table in R. So if you've ever been curious, we've got an answer for you, and you can find it in the show notes. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I am Ben Popper, the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always email us, podcast at stackoverflow.com. If you like the show, leave a rating and a review. Actually, a very sad thing happened sometime back in the summer. I think I unpublished an episode or something happened. Anyway, <gasps> our feed got all messed up on Apple. It stopped updating, and we lost all our ratings and reviews. So if you like the show, please don't go leave a rating and review because we have a new feed now that's been working, but it is not the one that existed for many years. So we're sort of like starting from scratch there. So yeah, if you like the show, especially on Apple, go leave us a rating and review really helps.
2: I'm Ryan Donovan. I uh, edit the blog and the newsletter here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, please email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com.
1: My name is Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O on most things.
0: All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Bye. Bye.